Amen. I love stories, uh, our stories at Springbrook segment. I love stories of life transformation. It's, it's so cool to see the work that God has done uh, in Andy's life uh, just from seven years ago. Andy is actually one of our elders, and so it's a privilege for me to get to serve with him on our board. Uh, he's a small group leader. He's back there running uh, sound for us right now. But, you know, it's interesting to think about how God has worked in and through his life just in a short period of time, really. And, uh, but it's, it's exciting for me to be able to hear uh, when people share um, their story. And so if you have a, share, a story that you'd like to share, um, we'd love the opportunity to, to hear your story. And so um, you've got a communication card or a welcome card there on your desk, or on your uh, chair. I just want to encourage you to take that welcome card out. If you're interested in sharing a story, um, we'd love the opportunity to record that, maybe share it with our Springbrook family. Um, but um, we'd love to hear from you. In fact, if you could, um, I need you to pick up that communication card now with your pen. Your pen is sterilized. And so those are all clean, so you don't have to worry about touching anything. Um, but I would like to ask you if you would please um, put your first and last name on the top of that card and then put the number two um, after your name so that it indicates the second service because at the end of the day, these all go in a big box. And so I'd like to know who was at our second service uh, um, this morning. And then if you could put your email down there as well, um, I'd like to be able to contact you next week um, so that we can just provide some follow-up as we think about strategically how we position our ministry for services. But um, I want to start our time this morning really with a, uh, with a confession. Um, we moved into quarantine uh, back in March of this year, and we moved to just having a 9 a.m. service. And uh, we went through uh, April, May, and June. Um, just with the 9 o'clock service, we um, mobilized our online ministry, which is really going uh, really well right now. And so our online presence has been going well. Um, things have been moving forward uh, as we've moved through the summer. Well, last Sunday, we started um, our, um, our second service for uh, 11 a.m., we started an in-person service uh, in July where people could kind of check it out. We got some feedback, and based on that feedback, we um, were moving towards uh, having an 11 a.m. service. And so we're still praying about that and uh, waiting for some feedback on that. But it was interesting because we did that so we could create a safe space for people to come in person. And we wanted to be able to have everybody come in but not be overcrowded at either one of the services. And so... Um, uh, we're still waiting for some feedback. We might move that to September, October. We'll see. Uh, but here's the confession part. You know, I've gotten a little bit lazy um, over, the, over the summer. And not lazy from the perspective of, of not being busy, because trust me, we are really uh, busy from a staff perspective. But in my heart, um, I have been, I'm, I'm tired. And I know you're tired and everybody's tired. Um, we've got a lot going on in our culture, in our community, uh, in our lives. And uh, so we started having some discussions about moving to the 11 a.m. service. And in my heart, I was like, oh, it has been so nice um, after the first service, at, after 9 o'clock, to be able to go home and uh, have some brunch and uh, enjoy my day and uh, get to just have that day for myself. And so over the last couple of months, that's exactly what I've been doing. We do our, our 9 o'clock service. I've been getting online, which has been fun for our 11 o'clock service and engaging with people that are watching uh, online. But it was interesting because as we started talking about the 11 a.m. service and starting up a second service, in my heart I was thinking, oh, it's been so nice 
not to have to do that. <laughs> I've enjoyed going home and having brunch and breakfast. And I know that uh, that's where many people are. And, you know, some of it's just a timing thing, just with regard to where we are um, after, you know, with everything that's going on. But after this crisis is over, um, we're still going to continue to do online ministry. And our online ministry is strategic for us to, uh, to reach families in our community that might not otherwise, you know, come to church. And so you can share the service online. You can interact with your friends and family. And so our online ministry is specifically designed for our church to connect with and reach our community. And then uh, it's also an opportunity for those that are at Springbrook to be able to watch while they're traveling. And so, um, you know, it, it has a place. And so online ministry has a place uh, for us. Uh, but being together is important as well. And so as we kind of move through this, um, this season, um, you know, we're focused on reaching our community and online ministry is going to be there. But it kind of begs the question, why do we even need to come to church anyway? I mean, why couldn't we all just have rolled over this morning and flipped on the computer and watched it online? Why, why does anybody uh, want to get up in the morning and come to church? And so I think that that's a question that a lot of people are asking right now. What is the purpose of coming to church versus just watching it online? And so that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit this morning is, is what is our motivation for why we do what we do? And what does it mean to live a transformed life versus one that is just event-driven or based on knowledge but not necessarily application? So we want to talk about transformation. And we want to talk about our motivation. And it kind of is rooted in some things that we've kind of grown up with, that we've been conditioned with, even from childhood. You know, as a kid, um, I grew up with this analogy. This is, these are my hands. This is the church. This is the steeple, right? And then what do you do? Open the door and see all the people. Has anybody ever heard that besides me? <laughs> it's pretty common. We have been conditioned from a young age to think that church is about coming to a building. And that's just kind of the way that most people think. You know, we think about church from the perspective of what happens in the building. But we know that that is not the case. We know that church is not a building. In fact, if we have a relationship with Christ, um, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells in us and we are a temple of the living God. And so we together make up the church. And so whether we are in this building, whether we're under a tree in Uganda, whether we're in the arid desert of India or up in the hills of Nepal, or whether you are in your school or whether you're at work or whether you're out riding your bike with your friends, you are the church wherever God has planted you. And there's something about when we come together that is special. And so why do we come to this place um, to worship on Sunday morning? Why not just stay at home and watch online? Online ministry has a place but there's something missing about when we're not together. You see, I believe life transformation happens best when we are in together uh, as the body of Christ, when we are actually in proximity and together. That's something that I've experienced. That's something that I find when we read through scripture. And so there's something about transformation that happens best when we are together. And so we're going to talk about that in just a bit. But first, I want to look at this issue of what motivates us to do what we do. Why do we do what we do? What is our motivation? If you brought a Bible with you, you can turn to, uh, to Zechariah uh, chapter 7. So we're going to look at some passages this morning where God deals directly 
uh, with the Israelites, with these Jews, to talk with them about some things that are going on in their hearts as he thinks about their motivation for why they do what they do in their worship. And we're continuing a series on new beginnings. Um, We're taking this opportunity um, during this season to reflect on what our priorities are. As we've been going through this series, we're looking at the, uh, the destruction of the temple that's taken place in 586. And now we're talking about what does it mean to rebuild the temple? And so in 586, the temple is, uh, faces destruction. Um, the Jews are taken captive. They're, all, uh, they're, they're moved and they're scattered and they're in exile. And they're going to be in exile away from their home until 538. Almost 50 years they're going to be in exile. And then... After the 50 years, they get to come back home uh, to Jerusalem. And then after they're home for 20 years, they do absolutely nothing. And so there's no temple reconstruction. There's no rebuilding going on. And the people are getting discouraged. And so in that discouragement, God sets apart Zechariah and Haggai. We're going to look at uh, what that prophet says in two weeks. But through, through Zechariah and through Haggai, God would speak to the people to motivate them and encourage them to want to rebuild the temple. Last week, Pastor Tim mentioned the eight visions that Zechariah would have, and he gets those visions in chapters one through six. Um, Interestingly enough, all eight of those visions are given to Zechariah in one night. And so from chapter chapter one to chapter six, those are visions that, that God gives Zechariah in one evening. And he wakes up the next morning and he shares the vision with them. And the people are in fact encouraged. And so it works. And so the people get to work rebuilding the temple after Zechariah shares with them. And then it's going to be two years that pass before we get to chapter seven. And so from chapter six to chapter seven, there's actually a, a two year period of time. In the beginning of Zechariah, it's the eighth month of the second year of Darius. And then when we get to chapter seven, we see it's the fourth year of Darius. And so there's actually two whole years that go by between chapter six and chapter seven. And during that time, work on the temple has progressed in a mighty way. And the temple is almost finished. And so for the last two years, they've been working uh, diligently. The temple's almost rebuilt. And uh, it's at this point that the people start to ask a question. Okay, we've been scattered. The temple is being rebuilt. Hey, what do we do after the temple has been rebuilt? And so a group of people get together and they they send them uh, from Bethel down to ask this question. And uh, they want to know what to do after the temple is rebuilt. And I'm sure that everybody at that time is wondering, hey, what are we going to do when the temple gets rebuilt? So that's where we pick up uh, beginning in chapter 7 and verse 1. It says this. You just want to read along with me or you can listen along. In chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Cheslev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shirazar and Rejim Melech and, and their men, they sent them to entrust, to entreat the favor of the Lord. They're anxiously sending these guys to find out what the Lord would say to them. And they, they, they sent them to entrust the favor of the Lord. And they want to say to the priests, to the house of the Lord and the prophets, should I weep and should I abstain in the fifth month if I, as I have been doing for so many years? And so I want to stop there for a second because the question that they're asking is, uh, is important. They want to know if they should weep and abstain in the fifth month as they have been doing for so many years. Now that weeping and, and, that, um, and that abstaining uh, is referring to a fast. 
And so they have been praying and fasting for a long period of time. In fact, they've been praying and fasting for um, 70 years. And so now that the temple is almost complete, they want to know if they need to keep on fasting. We have been fasting, waiting for this time for 70 years. Now that the temple is rebuilt, do we need to keep fasting and praying and weeping? It's getting old. Do we get to stop now? And so I want to stop there for a second because this is the motivation with which the Jews came to Zechariah with. They're tired, they're worn out, and they want to know if they get to stop. And so that is their motivation as they come to Zechariah. And so I want to take a moment, I want to ask you, at the beginning of this year, we started a series on prayer and fasting. In fact, um, we sought the Lord together for what he would have for us as we moved into this new season. We went through prayer and fasting, and over on this wall to your right is a list of all the prayer requests that people were sharing while we went through that series. And so, I don't know, maybe some of you actually shared a prayer request and, and were able to put it up on the wall. Sometimes people are praying for friends, for family, for situations in their life. And so people prayed when they put that post-it note up there. If you did put a post-it note up there, let me ask you this. Have you stopped? I mean, do you stop praying? Is praying and fasting a, uh, a one-time event? Or is it something that you continue to do? Or maybe you read your Bible last week, or maybe you read it today. I, got, I read my Bible this morning. Does that mean I need to read my Bible again today? Or do I need to read my Bible tomorrow? And so when we think about spiritual growth, when we think about transformation, when we think about our motivation, do we think about our Christian walk in terms of a series of events? Or do we understand the importance of doing things on a continual basis? You know, I prayed yesterday. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to pray tomorrow. I shared my faith with my friends a week ago. Do I need to share my faith again next week or next year? You know, do we think about our Christian walk as a series of events or do we understand that it's a process? You see, the Christian life is filled with disciplines. These are disciplines that grow us in our, in our faith. Spiritual growth is a process. It's not an event. It's not simply a transaction. It's not a mechanical activity that we're just going through the motions. It involves us to use our heads. Our heads transform our hearts. And that's where understanding and wisdom come from. You know, it's one thing to know a fact. It's another thing to express your faith through an event. But wisdom and understanding come through growth as it relates to it being a process. And that's where wisdom comes from. Knowledge is what you know, but wisdom is the ability to know what to do with it. And some of that comes only from experience. And so we all know that growth is a process. Our kids are born young, but then they grow older. And growth is a process. Well, guess what? Our, our spiritual growth works exactly the same way. It's, it's a process. And it involves the head, the heart, the understanding. And so when these men come to ask about fasting, the issue is their motivation for their question is what is the problem. And I can almost hear Zachariah, when they ask the question, kind of, oh, kind of catch his breath. Because he replies this way in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord said to him, he related it to the people, say to the people of the land and to all the priests, when you fasted and you mourned in the fifth month, in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and do you not just drink for yourselves. You know, 
Were these not the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets? And then he goes into verse 8 to tell them what they were supposed to be doing. But he stops with verse 5 and 6 to make the point that their motivation for asking their question is wrong. And in verse 3 of this chapter 7, it's interesting because uh, these men only talked about the one fast. They talked about the fast of the fifth month. But God says, hey, wait a second, you got got a fast in the seventh month that we haven't even talked about as well. And as you read through verse 8, you're going to see that there's two additional fasts. There's actually one fast in the fourth month, and there's a fast in the tenth month. These Jews have loaded themselves up with fasting as a result of the fall of Jerusalem in 586. They had the fast in the tenth month, which was when Nebuchadnezzar came in and captured the city. They had the fast in the fourth month, when the city was completely overtaken. They had a fast in the fifth month, when the temple was burned down. They had a fast in the seventh month, when the Jewish governor was killed. And so they loaded themselves up with these fasts as a result of what was going on in their lives. And, and fasting in and of itself is not the problem. And prayer and fasting is a good thing. In fact, um, God tells the uh, Levites in, in, uh, in chapter 16 that they're to fast on the 10th day of the seventh month for the day of atonement. So, so we know that prayer and fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's important. All throughout scripture, we see the importance of, of praying and fasting. But the problem that gets confronted here was that these men were talking about a fast that they had the wrong motivation for. There's a wrong way to, to fast. There's a wrong way to pray. Our praying fasting, if it's done with the wrong motivation, is, can be a problem. And that's what God confronts them with in verses 5 and 6. So he said to the people, when you fasted and mourned, was it for me that you fasted? Why were you fasting? Was it for me? And the, question, the answer to that question was no. And when you eat and when you drink, were you not doing that for yourselves? Were you not just thinking of yourselves? You know, the question was, that they were asking originally was, hey, do we need to keep fasting? And God points out to them that, well, you are never doing it for me anyway. What are you asking me if you want to keep fasting for? And so inherently wrong was their motivation for why they were praying and fasting. And we need to know, just looking at this passage, that if we want to grow spiritually, we need to keep our eyes focused on God in our prayer and our fasting as we, as we worship and as we, as we live out our Christian life. Our focus must be on God. Everything we do must be focused on God. Everything that we do and teach should be pointing ourselves and others to Christ. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we must be Christ followers. And most prayer and fasting is not focused on, on God or on what he wants. Typically, our prayer and fasting is focused on things that are our circumstances. That's okay because God wants us to pray about the things that are in our lives. But we need to make sure that when we're praying, we're calling it what it is. Am I praying fasting to see God or am I praying and fasting for something that's going on in my life? You know, these simple um, outward religious activities of praying and fasting does not translate into spiritual growth. You know, just the act of praying and fasting uh, is not going to result in spiritual growth. It's the motivation behind why we're praying and fasting that leads to growth. And so this is an important point. And so if you've got something, write it down, or maybe you can remember this. This is really important for all of us to understand. Simple outward activity does not result in spiritual growth. In fact, it will move you further from God. Simple outward religious activity will move you further from God. And so if your intention is to draw closer to God through your prayer and fasting, what we find here is if it's done with the wrong motive, it's actually a break in relationship and will move you further away. 
Spiritual activity is not what the Christian life is all about. Spiritual disciplines are focusing us on God. They're reading, it's praying, it's fasting, it's, it's sharing our faith because of who we are in Christ. You know, it's not about religious activity. These spiritual disciplines that we put into place in our life, they strengthen us. You know, praying and fasting and giving and, and reading the Bible and sharing our faith. If you look through the list of spiritual disciplines, those things are all designed to grow us in our faith. If you're looking for a great resource on spiritual disciplines, there's a book by Donald Whitney. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And he identifies eight spiritual disciplines that are really foundational for the Christian life. But if you read the book or you read the passages, if you do these things and it's with the wrong motivation, it can actually move you further away from God than you were intending. The second danger of having the wrong motivation is that religious activity can actually move us away from what God has for us. And so not only does religious activity move us further away from God, but it moves us away from what we should be doing. And that's what we see when we pick up in verses 8. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. It said, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You are to be rendering true judgments. You are to be showing kindness and mercy to one another. You are not to oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. And so God has something for us. We're to render true judgments. We're to be focused on speaking truth to one another in love. Our relationship with one another should be that we're being open and honest with one another. That's what our focus should be. We're to, we're to show kindness and mercy to one another. When there's conflict, when there's trouble, when there's, you know, mercy is our willingness not to claim our right to be right. We talked about that in our Peacemaker series where we talked about sometimes we just have to choose to show someone mercy. It's, it's withholding a punishment that's really due to them, but, but we're going to take that opportunity to build our relationship. And so mercy is something that we're supposed to be focused on. Justice and mercy are important topics for God. We're to show mercy to one another. We're not to oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourners, the poor. God's got a lot for us to be focused on. Let none of, let none of you devise evil against uh, others in your heart. And so these Jews in their prayer and fasting were ignoring these disciplines. They were caught up praying, not focused on God, and doing these feasts in their own strength. And not only were they driven in their relationship further from God, but they were ignoring and not doing the things that they should be. You know, when we get caught up in religious activity, that is a danger for us. And so whether we are eating, drinking, whatever you do, if you're not doing it to the glory of God, then you are at risk of having a problem. And so when we come to church on Sunday morning, you know, it's an opportunity for us to worship and to hear God's word proclaimed. It's important that we do this with the right motivation. Coming to church doesn't make any sense, really, apart from having a relationship with Christ. Coming to church doesn't make any sense unless the Spirit of God is drawing somebody to, that wants to know more about who he is and so we pray for people that they would come into this church. If you have questions about God or the Bible, we are so glad when people come into this church with questions about God and the Bible. That's why we're here. We want to help people to understand how to have a relationship with Christ, how to grow in their faith. And so if someone doesn't have a relationship with Christ, this is a place that they will be welcomed. If somebody does have a relationship with Christ and they understand just what they have and what a precious gift that is, it's an opportunity for us to worship as we sing songs and, and praise God and lift our voices up to him. It's an opportunity for us to hear his word and for his word to sharpen us as we think about how do we apply his word to our lives. 
And so Christians, Christ followers, walk into this church and they're encouraged and they grow in their faith. Non-Christians walk into this church. They're being drawn by the Spirit of God. Nobody walks through that door unless the Spirit of God is drawing them to do that. And we want to be good stewards and answer their questions and help them to be able to grow. And if we don't approach this with the proper motivation, without love for God, without love for others, then it's a problem. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul puts it this way. If I outwardly speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I'm an eloquent speaker and everything really looks good, and by all appearances, everything's okay, but I have not love, then I am a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I am worthless. And so it doesn't matter how good, how shiny, it doesn't matter how eloquent, if our motivation for serving and for worshiping and for praying and fasting and any of the spiritual disciplines is not focused on God and our love for him, then it is trouble. And that's exactly what was happening with these men and their prayer and fasting. All these fasts that they had instituted, all these fasts that they had been doing for 70 years, they missed the, they missed the mark because they weren't focused on the right thing. Jesus would say this in Matthew 22, and somebody asked him, hey, which one of these commandments is most important? Do I need to keep fasting? Do I need to observe this day? Over 600, all these commands in the Bible, which one's the most important? See, they're constantly trying to think about their faith journey from the perspective of just the law. What do I need to do to be right with God? And Jesus says this, you know what the greatest commandment is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, into all your mind. You see, our motivation for doing what we do, what we do stems from our love and our focus on God. And Jesus says that's the most important commandment. And then he says the second commandment is like it, just like it. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. And then he faces up and he says this, and I love this part. This whole Bible can be summarized and stands on these two commands, love God and love others. That's our motivation for why we do what we do. Outward religious activity moves us away from God. It's disastrous for our soul. If we think by simply doing these acts, things are going to be okay. Because it's not true. Religious activity without the relationship, without the love, without the focus for God actually moves us far from him when we do things on our own. And so religious activity, when it's empty like that, moves us away from God and it moves us away from his plans and for our life and for our focus on what we should be doing. And I want you to make sure that you get this point because you could write this one down too, but remember this one. Not only is outward religious activity dangerous, it moves us away from God and moves us away from his, uh, from his plans for us. But the inverse is true. Genuine faith, genuine faith of a transformed life that focus us on God and others will grow us in our faith. See, genuine faith of a transformed life will focus us on God and focus us on others. Everything that we do this morning was to focus us on God and to help others to understand what God would have for them this morning. We are constantly evaluating our ministry, our lives, our groups, our opportunities based on what God would have for us. 
And that's our focus. And that's what, that's what God's reminding these men that have come to him with this question. Do we need to keep praying fasting? Well, not if you're going to do it the wrong way. Focus, focus on what you should be doing and focus on me and not yourselves. Beginning in verse 11, he's going to talk about the condition with which, how they got into the problem in the first place. He says this beginning in verse 11. Your forefathers, the people that went before you, they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts that he had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. I called out and they would not listen. They did not hear me. So they called out and I did not hear them. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land that they left was desolate and no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. You see, the reason that the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in the first place was because that God's people were ignoring him. They weren't being obedient. They weren't listening to him. In fact, it says their, their hearts were hard. How hard were their hearts? hard as diamonds. Their hearts were hardened to the things that were important to God. As a result, they got swooped in on, their temple got destroyed, they got taken into captivity, and that was the reason that they were actually in exile. And then God is reminding these men now that are asking, hey, do we need to keep praying and fasting? He's reminding them that you are in this same exact mess. You're in the same place that your forefathers were that got them into the position that you're in right now. Have you not learned your lesson? If we do not listen to God, if we do not keep our eyes focused on him, if we do things for our own benefit and our own strength, it is going to be a problem. We need to keep our eyes on him and focused on him. And genuine spiritual growth, genuine life transformation has him and the love for others at the root of that. Their hearts were hardened, as hard as diamonds. Your fathers turned your back on me, and now you are doing the exact same thing. And so he warns them to turn from their ways. As you go into uh, chapter 8, Zechariah would give them a picture of what's to come, just kind of a little taste of uh, the peace and the prosperity that was going to be theirs. And so verses 8 through uh, 18 are a picture of what's to come if they are obedient. If you get this temple built correctly and you turn your hearts towards me, um, then things are going to be great. They're going to be wonderful. But you need to do that. And then I love what he says in verse 19, chapter 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, that fast that you were doing in the fourth month and the fast in the fifth month and the fast in the seventh month and the fast in the tenth month, all those fasts that you were doing, those shall now be seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. And therefore you will find love and truth and peace. And so God has taken their empty praying and fasting. He's reminded them of the importance of focusing on him and focusing on others and the love that we're supposed to have. He's refocusing them on what it means to be a have a live a transformed life. And here we see he actually takes those empty prayer and fast and he turns them around and he transforms them into something for good. And so it's kind of like good news, bad news. The bad news is, is that 
for these last 70 years, you have been doing it all wrong. <laughs> That'd be kind of disappointing, wouldn't it? For 70 years, you've been praying and fasting and you've been doing it all wrong. But here's the good news. God redeems it. He tells them, I'm going to redeem what you've been doing. If you'll listen and you'll learn from me, your prayer and your fasting and your weeping, if you'll move your focus from yourselves and from your past and focus it on me, you're going to find and experience the joy of what's to come. You're going to find truth. You're going to find peace. And so I think so many times in our circumstances, we are drawn into our past. We're drawn into our circumstances. We can't help it. There's things that consume our energy and our time, our attention. If I think about how much time I spent this past week thinking about what's going on around me, and I compare that to how much time is focused on turning my attention to God, I'm constantly having to keep that in check. That's why I limit myself on Facebook. That's why I limit myself on the news. There's so much going on out there that if I let that consume me, it's going to pull me away from what God would have for me. You know, one of the great things about having a relationship with Christ is I'm no longer a slave to my past. I talk to so many people that are constantly struggling with things of their past. You know, you know, Scripture teaches us that when we make a faith commitment, we're made new. The old is gone and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ. And so we do not need to be slaves to our past. But so many times people are held back by their past. And we, that shouldn't be the way. You know, we are new in Christ. Our past should not enslave us. Our circumstances and what's going on right now should not consume our energy. We need to step back from our past. We need to step back from our circumstances. And we need to ask, God, what would you have for me in this circumstance? That's what Jesus' prayer was in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we need to be asking ourselves, what is God's will for us in light of who we are, in light of what's going on in our lives? If you've got something that God has delivered you from in your past, that's an opportunity for you to take that, to share it, to be an encouragement to somebody else that's going through the same struggle. Your past does not have to enslave you. Our current circumstances don't have to enslave us. We need to focus on God. And if we focus on him and we focus on his promises, it's there that we find joy, we find truth, and we find peace. You know, it's not possible for me to tell anybody, if you read your Bible, things are going to be okay. That's just not true. Because reading your Bible done with the wrong motivation is just an activity. It's not possible for me to be able to say to somebody, hey, if you just go pray about that, everything's going to be okay. If you just go to church, everything's going to be okay. If you just pray this prayer, everything's going to be okay. You know, we cannot reduce the Christian life to simply a series of events, acts, and mechanical methodologies. Our relationship with Christ changes us. We're transformed and we're constantly growing in our faith. And if we're going to live this life that we've been called out to live, then we have to live moment by moment in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that comes only through our relationship with him and by letting his truth and his spirit fill us and indwell us and give us the power and the strength to accomplish what he has for us. And the Christian life is not meant to be done alone. You know, you ask Christ into your life, you become a Christ follower. But then you're in community with other believers that encourage you, that encourage you and help you to be able to grow. 
And this morning, I want to ask you, if you can't look back on your life and think about the moment at which you came to understand your need for relationship with Christ, understanding that he is perfect and you're not, confessing your sin and claiming Christ's forgiveness on the cross, if you are not a Christ follower, you have questions about what that is, today is the day for you to settle that in your mind. Because coming to church, although it might feel good, it's a good thing to do. If it's not done with the proper motive, it can potentially even move you further away from God. It begins by understanding your need for a relationship with Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it's as simple as asking God to come into your life. Father, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I'm trusting that Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that God raised him from the grave and that through his death on the cross and his resurrection, I have the assurance of salvation. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. And that prayer in and of itself, I know a lot of people that have prayed those words, but then maybe not really understood it because we can't reduce that prayer to an event either. But if you, in your heart, know that you're not right with God, that you do need a relationship with Christ, you can pray and ask Christ to come into your life. The Christian walk begins there. And it's not meant to be alone. We're designed to be in community together. You know, I'm convinced that communication is is 5% words. When I send you a text or an email, only 5% of what needs to be communicated is with words. If I pick up the phone and tone, if I use my tone, trust me, that communicates something that just words don't. 50% 50% of communication is words and tone. But you know what the other 50% is? It's, it's nonverbal. And so when I get excited about something, that communicates more than just my words or just my tone. And so we're very visual. But I'm convinced over this past few months that those are not the only three things that make up communication. There is something about who we are together that is irreplaceable. I love watching services online. I've got some guys that I love to listen to. I've got some great preachers. I love learning online. I've got some podcasts. But you know what? There's no relationship there. It's just knowledge. And so there's something about being together, being in proximity together that is critical to our being able to experience spiritual growth. That's why small groups are so important because we love Sunday mornings. People come in, they get to hear about God, they get to worship, they get to hear a good message. And then they go home and they wait for next Sunday. And that is not enough to sustain the Christian walk. And so being in community with others in the context of a small group or serving together on a ministry team puts you in relationship with other people where you can talk and you can listen to one another. Proximity is vitally important to the Christian walk. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 12, Paul says this about the importance of who we are as the body of Christ. Just as the body is one and has many members... All the members of the body, although they are many, are one. Individually, we are Christ followers. Individually, we have a relationship with Christ. But together, we are the body of Christ. One in spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink from one spirit. There's something about who we are together that just can't be replaced. And we encourage one another and we sharpen one another. And it's critical if we're going to experience life transformation. In the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at the book of Acts this fall. If you're not in a small group at Springbrook, if you want to try a small group, um, maybe you want to host a small group as we move uh, forward to fall, um, I'd just encourage you on your, on your uh, communication card to let us know if you're interested in a small group. You can go to our website. Um, but I am convinced that spiritual growth happens best in the context of a small group. 
That's where you're able to talk with one another, encourage one another, and sharpen one another, and apply what you're learning. And that's what our series is going to be about this, this, uh, this fall. We're going to be kicking off a, an eight-week series through the book of Acts. Pastor Matt's finishing up the curriculum, and he and Tim and I are kind of looking on the, on the teaching schedule for that. And I am so excited about that series because it's going to be a continuation of what it means to be the church together. And so I'm really looking forward to that. But I wanted to close with our time together with this because this is one of the things that I, I find that is just uh, so important with regard to, uh, to who we are and uh, who we are um, together. In Acts chapter 2, there's 3,000 believers that make faith commitments. Um, right after they make faith commitments, in, in verse 42 of chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, being together, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion together. So if you're watching, on, if you're going to watch online at home, have your communion supplies, you can bring them with you. Uh, if you want to celebrate communion here, we're working on some of the dynamics of whether we offer them on this service. But next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating communion together. That's something that we do together as a part of the body of Christ. And then it says this in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. Everyone was filled with awe. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. You know, that's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for you, that your Christian walk and who we are together would create in you a sense of awe. Are you in awe about what God has done in your life? Are you in awe about what God's doing in and through this local body of Christ? I am. It's exciting for me to be able to see what God's doing in and through me, through our church congregation. That's why the VBS is so important. That's why we love those pictures, because when you see all those kids together, it's not just hosting a VBS in your backyard. You are being a witness. You are influencing your friends and your neighbors. Kids are learning about God, the Bible, how to have a relationship with Christ. That's awe-inspiring. That's exciting. The Spirit of God is moving in and through our small groups. It's so exciting to hear about the studies that our, that our small groups are going through, the stories of life change, the things that people are learning, people that are stepping in saying, you know, I've been a part of Springbrook for a while. I need to get better connected. They're serving in ministry. They're giving. They're supporting the work that God's had in this ministry. I'm in awe about what God's doing, and I hope you are too. That's my prayer for our church, that there would be a sense of awe about who we are together. And you know what? When that happens, you know what the result is? Listen to what happens in verse 46. Day by day, they kept attending the temple court together. They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and genuine hearts. Their hearts were right. They praised God, having favor with all the people. And I love this. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those that were being saved. You know, it's my prayer that that sense of awe for this ministry would be something that is contagious in our church, that others would look in and see and say, hey, I want that. I am praying for people that would want to make a faith commitment. I, every morning I wake up, I think about, man, I sure hope somebody makes a faith commitment today. <laughs> Are you praying for friends, family? Do you know without the assurance of Christ in your life, we have the assurance of an eternal separation from God. I can't think of anything that is more important than where we're going to spend eternity. And that motivates me. It motivates me. That's why I'm in ministry. Because I know that people need a relationship with Christ. And so I'd just like to ask you to pray with us together as a church that this ministry would be a place that people could come and they could learn about God and the Bible and how to have a relationship with Christ. And if there's a sense of awe happening here, then people are going to come in and they're going to be making faith commitments. They're going to be getting baptized. 
They're going to be jumping in and getting involved in a small group because the Spirit of God is at work, but it has to work in and through each of us. It can't just be me. It can't just be the pastors or the staff or the leaders. Our church needs to have a sense of awe. And so I'd like to ask you to make that your prayers. We continue to move through the summer and prepare for the fall. I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to come together this morning to look at these uh, encouraging words, these warnings from Zechariah. And we need to make sure that we are not just going through the motions. We need to make sure that our hearts are right, that we're focused on him, and we're focused on the love that we have for others. And we need to realize that spiritual growth, transformation is a process. And we're here to encourage one another in this journey together. And this is why I am so glad that you're here. And why I'm so glad that people call Springbrook Community Church their home, because it's an opportunity for us to encourage one another as we fulfill the purposes that God has for us together. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the warnings and the encouragement uh, from the word that uh, Zechariah had for those people back then. That is a timeless message. God, I know that we're all tired. I know that we're all worn down. I know there's circumstances going on in our lives. God, I just pray for each of my friends here this morning that through this day, that they would have a sense of your presence. God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you, your plans for us, and we look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things together in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you have any questions about anything that we talked about, if you have any questions about um, ministry or what's going on at Springbrook, um, I'm going to be available. I'm going to hang out here this morning after the service is over. I've got my mask somewhere. And so I'll have my mask on if you want to come up. I want to encourage you today um, to, uh, to watch lingering. We, we still want to be careful, so put your mask on. We want to respect um, those that are cautious and vulnerable. Um, I'll be so glad when we get done with these masks. But in the meantime, we need to respect uh, at least uh, the feelings and what's going on with the people around us. And so let's all keep our masks on. Let's keep ourselves safe. I pray that you keep safe. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for being with us today. And uh, God bless you.